I would love to preach about anything other than this topic. It's the topic that makes most people hypocritical at some point in time, and nobody likes to deal with it. In my years of preaching, I've actually addressed this in a specific way one other time. And I swore I'd never do it again, but here we are, and I'm eating my words. And there, see, it makes you hypocritical just like that. Uh, Preachers dealing with money is always uh, one of those things you walk with trepidation through. But when you start dealing with parenting and this private part of your life that we all feel so self-conscious about, all you can do is offend people. That's all you can do. And so I'm walking into a minefield do not, talk, do not say anything about the sermon today as you walk out. Talk about what a nice day it was, it is, what you're going to do, where you're going to go eat. I don't want to hear one word about the sermon, good or bad. If you don't like it, I don't care. If you do like it, I don't care. Just walk on by. That's all I'm going to say today, okay? I just don't. It's, the only people who are experts at having kids are people who don't have them. Uh, They know exactly what you should do to produce this end result we all want, or maybe sometimes it's somebody who hasn't had kids in 30 years plus. It's the grandparents who look at that and say, I just, they just aren't doing it right. This is what they should do. It's like this weird foggy nostalgia overtakes you. This happened to me a little bit this week at camp. Tuesday, I go down there. There's this horrendous game they play called Octoball. You get into an eight-sided prison. That's what I would call it, an eight-sided prison. And everybody lines up and you throw a ball at each other as fast as you can, trying to knock each other out of the prison, right? I was watching this, I've seen this many times, but I was watching it and from within the prison comes voices. Spencer, come play this game. You think I'm an idiot, don't you? You think I am an idiot to go, I'm not gonna go into that thing, but there are these glimpses of moments where you think I could take them. I could still take them. And then I think of Paul Wallace playing volleyball two weeks ago and not being able to walk for three weeks. And I go, no, no, I'm gonna use wisdom and I'm gonna do a greater choice than falling prey to my nostalgia. I think sometimes grandparents think of themselves kind of like when we play baseball those of you who are 60 70 or 80 years old think you were better than you really were right and I think there's a lot of people who who really think highly maybe of their parenting back years ago because your kids turned out great or whatever and so you look at at kids now I am one of these who's uh I never felt real confident about parenting I was self-conscious and I second-guessed myself all the time. I don't, what I say is I don't have the gift of parenting. I really don't feel like I did. I see a lot of people, and this is the big thing that goes through my mind when I see people with kids, because everybody knows when your kid is not acting like they should or like you want to. Everybody knows it. You can hear them. You can see them. But I got to tell you, how, what do you do about it? That's a real quandary for every parent. What do I do now to help produce this result I'm looking for. And I raised two. I think I figured out Noah and Abby. But I got to tell you, as I look at kids that I see today, when I look at your kids sometimes, I'm like, I don't know what I would do because that kid is so totally different than mine. 
I don't have the nerve to give you kind of any kind of critique or advice because it's not the same kid that I had. And I don't have any right to tell you anything. I just don't feel confident about kids, but parenting. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you the only confidence that any preacher can have, and the only, per, only thing a, a preacher can say about parenting is what scripture says. I can stand on that. I, I have confidence that these words are right. And so we're gonna look at these verses. I just wanna show them to you. Uh, one was just read a moment ago, and remember you say, children obey your parents. I still think that line is to parents. I'm not going to say to a five-year-old kid, you need to go read Ephesians 5 and you need to obey your parents because the Bible says that. I think we should teach our kids that. But this is about parents, look at this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. This is right. Honor your father and your mother. It's the first commandment that came with a promise attached to it. That it may go well with you. You'll live better if you learn to submit to authority. Do you think that's true? If people learn right here in the home how to submit to authority, your life will go much better. You think that's true? I think it's what he's saying in Ephesians 6. But here's where it comes to fathers, parenting. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the, and here's a word we're going to come to later, discipline and instruction of the Lord. I'm looking for words, and there's a couple of them. Next screen. Here's one out of the out of the deacon qualification of 1 Timothy 3. We only read this when we're looking for deacons, but here's an interesting insight to me. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone doesn't know how to manage his own household of five or six, how can he handle God's church of three or four hundred? Makes sense, but the, the little insight is what God's looking for is those who in dignity, with dignity, with respect, both from and to your kids, you're able to keep your children submissive. There's, there's a hint. Next screen. This is from 1 Samuel, going back to an old story that you know. It, it's not about parenting directly, but the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel which the two ears of everyone who hears it would tingle. You're not going to believe this, he says. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I've spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I'm about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. God says what you should have done. This is what he, was, this is what he put him these kids into Eli's family for so that you would restrain that inside rebellious spirit. Okay, next screen. We then open up the greatest book about parenting anywhere in the world called Proverbs. It is by design a mom and a dad's homeschooling textbook for their kids. That's what this is. And here's a couple of verses. Whoever spares the rod hates his son. A parallelism, which means the second line means the same as the first. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. There's the word again. And then train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. We feel massive guilt about this sometimes. This is a general truth. This is not an always true proposition like John 3.16 or Acts 2.38. This is a general truth of Proverbs. Next screen. 
Hear my son, your father's instruction. Forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland on your head. It's like their crown and their glory and a pendant for your neck. This is, this is the great thing for you. One of the greatest things God does for you is give you parents, mom and dad, who teach you. The implication of this, right at the beginning of Proverbs, is that mom and dad are taking the time to instruct the kids and you're listening, and you're paying close attention. All right, so those, those are the verses we're gonna make reference to, although I'm not gonna, we're not gonna uh, dwell long or exegete any one of them, but that's kind of like the general swath of scripture about parenting. There's no real specific parenting advice in scripture. In fact, there's no real parenting moments that you see that go well. There's not a real functional family in all of Scripture there's, that you can point to because every one of them has dysfunctions that come out. Uh, Jeff, Jeff Madden reminded me, he said, now Noah was close, and he's right, Noah was close, it seems like, but then at the end he messes that up and curses Canaan and the rest of time is messed up. So that kind of, he kind of blew it there, right? No one is perfect at this. And you're not going to be perfect at this. And so there's lots of grace to be had in this. But there's so many times that parents are morally bankrupt, like David, who, who no longer disciplined his kids because he lost his moral persuasion by his behavior with Bathsheba. Kind of hard, right? So there's not a lot of ways to go about this and say, what do you preach on this that gives you any instruction? But in this series, you know, it's like I'm going to give you one insight that I think might be helpful and encouraging to you, and that's always a that's always an impossible task, and yet I'm going to try it, and I'm going to try it with parenting, and here's what it is. Fulfill your primary task in your parenting role. What is the primary task? And it changes and adjusts as the kids grow. I'm going to give you four words. Is all I'm going to have four words that describe your primary goal at different times of your kids' lives, and it's important to keep them all as you go along, but one, the first one is there and is really the primary thing, and then it fades a little to other things, and we're going to use the words of Scripture. And the first word is the word discipline. That's a heavy word. People are often scared of this word, and they think it means beating or abusing or punishing, and uh, it, can all, it can sometimes mean punish, but discipline always means this, making it clear to them in a way that they can grasp that some behaviors are not okay. They're not to be repeated. They need to be changed. We need to be correcting behavior. That's kind of the restraint that God says Eli was supposed to have with his, son, uh, his sons as they were growing. And so discipline is the right? And it's, it's using things that they can grasp. And this can be different for every kid. I know that there are some that you sit down and have a conversation with your kid and that straightens it up and that's it. I know people like that. I didn't have one, but I've heard about them. They're kind of like a, a, an endangered species out there. And if that's your kid, just use that tactic, right? Whatever works. And for some of you, I, I don't know, I've heard of timeout working for some. I've heard of, of different things. But the thing is, does it work? Is it really, are they grasping this? Is it working? Making it clear in a way that they can grasp something needs to be changed. And this is the greatest challenge. What do I discipline for? 
and how do I do it? Those are the two greatest. If you ask any parenting conference, those are the two questions every parent brings and says, answer this for me, answer this for me. I don't know that anybody can do that. Certainly, I don't have the wisdom for it, but I'll say this. Childishness is not something to discipline. Childish is they're acting their level. If they spill the milk, it's not something to get all uptight about and punish them for. They're kids. That's something that happens. But if they ever express disobedience or disrespect, those are things you must back up with discipline. Whatever it takes to get them to grasp, this is not okay. Disobedience and dishonor or disrespect. Those are two things that always have to be met with discipline. Before we talk about that specifically, what does it mean to provoke or exasperate? We were told fathers don't exasperate when you're getting your kids to obey. Do not exasperate them. How do you do that? One of them is all you're ever doing is ever correcting them. There's no relationship. There's no fun. There's no life. There's no heart. There's no playfulness. There needs to be this environment of a relationship before the rules ever matter to them. And so you have this relationship with them where you have all sorts of, you're wrestling in, this, in, the, ro, in, the, in the floor with them and, and you've, got, you've got all these hours of just being with them and loving them and showing them grace and affection and relationship. If all you're ever doing is correcting all the time, it will exasperate them like nothing is good enough. You do not need to raise your kids thinking they'll never be enough for you because they will think then they'll never be enough for God or anybody else. They are enough. The relationship must be intact first. Love them, wrestle with them, play with them, goof off with them, play video games with them, whatever it is. But, 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 but when you discipline, it must matter because the relationship matters. That's why discipline works because it's in a context of love and not just a bunch of rules conveyed. This is what happens like in church disfellowship. If people don't care about the fellowship of the church, your action of disfellowshipping won't matter. It's not a disciplinary action because they do not care. Same thing for at home. If you don't have some kind of relationship of lighthearted fun with them, your discipline won't matter and it needs to be relatively infrequent. But second, it's the inconsistency sometimes. And by the way, we all are inconsistent. So don't think that this is anything where you're going to perfect. But when this behavior over here, when you do it, is fun and everybody laughs at you, and it ain't no big deal, but when it's over here, an hour later, you get mad and reprimand them. Talk about confusion. I have no idea what you want here. It's an inconsistent thing. So you need to be as consistent as possible uh, with, with these behaviors. And those are the ways I think that we cause them to be exasperated. We've all done it. We're all guilty of this. We want to minimize this as much as, as we can. But discern those moments with, from within the relationship that you have when you absolutely see disrespect or disobedience. And in those moments, you stop and you discipline. What is appropriate discipline? This is a big question, right? Keep in mind what your purpose is. You're trying to correct this behavior, 
restore the relationship because when they disrespect you, they have all of a sudden disrupted the relationship. And you need to help them to restore it properly because we value the relationship. And then it conveys a lesson to them about how to live well, whatever it takes to do this. And when it comes to discipline as far as God is concerned, he doesn't give just one uniform way to do it, but he does describe it. Next screen, we're going to skip the first two things, but go to the third one. I do believe don't use empty threats. Next time you're going through Walmart, I'm going to spank you with, I'm going to spank you with, I'm going to spank you with, I'm going to spank And you can suddenly, at the, by the time they leave, you're saying it, right, to them. If you're going to say it, do it. If you're going to promise it, do it. It's a greater thing not to carry it out, okay? But the Bible describes discipline, especially Hebrews chapter 12, God, the ideal parent, even though we aren't very good kids sometimes, he, he says this, discipline is unpleasant. No one likes it. I don't like to dish it out. I don't like to be the one to receive it. But it's necessary, so it is unpleasant. It's sometimes painful at the time. Anybody who says discipline shouldn't hurt is nuts, it's going to hurt, and it doesn't necessarily mean physically every time. But I got to tell you, I'm a person who says you don't, you do not, you do absolutely do not abuse. But if spanking or some physical correction like that with limited use is not in your toolkit, it needs to be. Scripture is pretty clear about this. Don't take it to extremes and don't use it beyond what you need to use it, but it can be effective. But it hurts. Yes, it hurts. God says to us, my discipline of you hurts for a time, right? It's an expression of my relationship. I value this relationship and I will not let you continue in this relationship being offensive like this. You must conform to the relationship standard. I love you enough to honor it. It's for the good interest of the person being disciplined and a tool that conveys we've got to submit to a standard with each other. Whatever it takes to do that. I want to say this about spanking. I, I, I remember two or three spankings, and I think I remember them because they really hurt. Uh, my mom nearly beat me to within an inch of my life, and I say that, I shouldn't say that, because I know there are people who have been. It's not funny. It's a very real thing. I just remember it being extremely painful and it was warranted but I can only really remember well I look back at that and say I was just spanked every other day that's not really true I remember two or three big times and I think the reason is this if you do it correctly you won't have to do it much that's what I think there are other ways to correct that are even more effective in certain circumstances we'll get that in a minute but what I'm saying is they must get at their ability to grasp. Somehow you must convey to them this behavior is wrong and not to be continued. But the word discipline then starts fading some. It always is there. As long as you're a parent, discipline becomes, is part of your arsenal, right? But it starts fading away and being a little bit less significant as the word training comes to the fore. Now, all of a sudden, they're old enough to start understanding your example. They're, you have now, instead of just having to, 
to, to work out some of those kinks, you know. I mean, your kid is wonderful and sinless when they're born, but very early they become tyrants and bosses of your life, right? You gotta start taking care of that. But at a certain point, you see this bike with training wheels. This father is learning, is teaching him, not learning him, teaching him how to ride a bike, but there's some training wheels, right? Showing him how it's done, using words and using his involvement, right? Training becomes a big part, and this I learned uh, with Noah especially. There was a day he was being rude. He was very young. I don't remember how old, but I looked at him and said, somebody needs to teach you manners. That's true. There's two things true about that. I still have this weird thing in my head that kids should know how to behave automatically magically you should sit there and be still why that's not a kid's life that's not why do i think that they should automatically know this that it somehow comes in a beautiful wonderful download from god and this infusion of hormones at age six where do i get that idea if he's gonna learn this he's got to be taught trained just like everybody else and the other thing that hit me that day was it's not the church's responsibility and it's not the public school's responsibility it's mine my job and his mom together according to proverbs we work at this and so there's certain things listen if you say to your kids you got your eyes roll kind of like their eyes roll at you your eyes roll and you go why are you always on technology why can't you have a conversation with an adult because they don't know how and it's up to you to teach them if you want them off the technology having a conversation with adults, you train them how. This is not something that comes automatically with their personhood. And so you, you say one day, okay, I'm going to invite the grandparents over. And you say, no technology. I want you to have a conversation, just five minutes conversation. And you teach them. You look at the person in the eye. You speak up because not everybody can hear. You speak up and let's have a conversation. You give them two or three topics and they have a conversation with older people. Train them because it doesn't come naturally. So when they're teenagers and they're ignoring and not socializing with people, it might be because they don't know how. In our culture, it is not inconceivable as to why that is. It's up to you to train them. When you're talking to another adult and your kid comes running up thinking he can just barge into the conversation and interfere with your conversation, you need to take moment, and that's okay, this happens at church all the time, and I'll see parents say, now hold it, just wait back here, and wait a minute, it's a teaching moment, you're parenting right there, you get this, right? You are training them. You don't barge into a conversation, you wait. You wait until they're finished, and then you have your conversation. That's how you do it. How to answer the phone, how to answer the door, how to show gratitude for something that's done to you. I used to, and every, every one of us has done this, used to say, what do you say? You know, somebody's done something for you. What do you say? Okay, when they're five and six and seven years old, but at some point in time, you shouldn't have to stand over and go, what do you say? If I'm doing that with Noah at 22, something's really wrong, right? And, 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 if, and if I think they should, if I think they should send a card to somebody, and maybe that's not going to take with them, I sit down with them and I share with them something they might say, or I, I send Mary Lee 
and say, she'll tell you what, seriously, let's train them to do this, right? That's kind of, so you've got Tyson Leblong who comes here, one of the most polite young men I've ever met in my life, and he calls me sir all the time. And at first, I want to argue with him and say, no, my name is, but then I'm sitting there going, his parents are doing an amazing job of teaching him politeness. I don't want to untrain him with me. Let him call me sir. I kind of like it now. Just call me sir. That's okay. So I'll just call Tyson every once in a while just to hear sir. Just to hear sir, right? He's being trained. If you want your kids to be a certain way and do a certain thing, don't automatically assume they should know. It doesn't come naturally. Then after some showing how and training comes a third. There is no, the first two words I've used are Bible words. This is not a Bible word. It's a Bible role, but it's not a Bible word. And so I had to come up with it. It's, you're, you're now coaching is what I would call it. If you'll notice this picture, this is a soccer team. The guys in the blue, blue and white stripes, they're the players. The, the green guy, the, the guy in green is the um, goalie. And the guy in white is the coach. The coach's role, he never steps out on the field. You know this, right? He never steps out on the field. Now, he might in practice to train them some way, but for the, right now in the game time is not training. It's not training time, it's game time. His job from the sidelines is to yell out encouragement or reminders. It's not really a time to teach right now because this is game time. Either you know it or you don't. That's called coaching. At some point now, after, you, after you've disciplined your kids and given them a foundation and then you've trained them in different ways, then comes the coaching time. Things come up in life that are really weird that you didn't train because, you, you know, I mean, you've got to happen in the moment. And so you become a coach. And this next screen, this is kind of how you do it. You've got a board, right? And you start going, this is going to happen and, and this takes place right here and I'm just, I'm just helping you. So when this happens, you take off this way, right? That is not a word to describe a parenting role in Scripture, but it is described in Proverbs chapter 7. And so if you've got your Bibles open, you can turn there. I've got it on the screen too. This is a weird thing, and I'm trying to figure out what the text is, but Proverbs is all about mom and dad training a man, young man, how to be a man in the world so that he can go out and be this God-honoring, constructive blessing to the world. And so he's teaching, but he's not disciplining in this, chat, in this book mostly. That's all done. He's very rarely training. He's really coaching. He's like coaching. This, you're about to be out there. It's time for you to do it. But this coaching thing happens in Proverbs 7. And what he's doing is he's saying, son, let me, and it's, there's more than one son. You'll see by the end of the chapter. Um, so son, here's what I want you to know. Um, I remember living in our first house. I saw something and I want to run this by you. I want to paint you a picture of this to help you because it's going to happen to you one day and I won't be there. I will not be there for you, but I want to coach you through the circumstance, right? So just join me with this, okay? I'm, I'm, the, I'm the parent. You, you are the, the teenage or the soon-to-be-on-his-own son, okay? And by the way, daughters need to hear this too because there are some really some really questionable guys in our world. You know this, right? There's some questionable guys in our world and you need to talk to them about it before they get out there. So my son, keep my words, treasure up my commandments. I'm about to tell you something that I want you to remember and keep in your head. 
Keep my commandments, you'll live. Keep my teaching, be proud of these things. Uh, Keep my teachings, the apple of of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. I want you to internalize these things. I want you to keep wisdom close to you. I want you to keep insight as a very dear, close friend. I'm giving you things that are very insightful and you need to remember. Next screen. To keep you from the forbidden woman from the adulteress with her smooth words. You're not going out into a world that is like at church. We're going out into a world that's got some really weird stuff to you, and I want to prepare you for it. So at the window of my house one time, he says, here comes the story. At the window of my house one time, I looked out through the lattice, and I've seen, I saw a bunch of simple young men out there, and I perceived among these young men there was a, a young man who really lacked common sense. He obviously didn't know what he was doing. No one told him what I'm about to tell you. No one told him. He hasn't been coached. This is your coaching, though. Next screen. Passing along the street near her corner. She was on the corner. She works this street. You ever heard of a red light district? Anybody heard of this? This is older people going, yes. Younger people going, what? The red light district is also known now today as internet. Okay, I just say that. Walking along near her corner, taking the road to her house, he was at the wrong place. Okay. In the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness, as the light was giving way to dark, he was walking. Wrong time of day. He's giving him clues. Wrong place, wrong time. Okay, the woman meets him dressed as a prostitute. Do I need to give you a picture of a prostitute up here? Show the next screen. No, I'm just, I didn't do that. You know what this is. You know what this is. This is to get the guy's visual attention vividly struck, right? You know how they dress. You know what it is. I don't need to show you a picture. I wanted to, but the elders wouldn't let me. So here's what it is, right? She comes out like this, showing lots of skin, lots of thick makeup on, everything. And, and, and you might say, well, that's disgusting. Well, no, that's what everybody likes, what every guy likes. It's just that you shouldn't want it in public. That's kind of, kind of the way it is. So, so she comes out dressed like this. So he describes her, right? Wily of heart, she's loud. She's loud and she's wayward. At one moment, she's at a street corner. At another moment, where is she? Down the street. Now she's at the market. At every corner, she's lurking. She's waiting for something. Next screen. She seizes him. She stops him and kisses him. Oh, can you imagine? He's, and he doesn't know what's happening. His world is rocked right here. She comes up and she kisses him and with a bold face. Oh, she's, she's not timid at all. She says, I had to offer sacrifices today. I've paid my vows. So now I've come out to meet you and to seek you eagerly. I've come out just for you, honey. Doesn't know his name, but so she uses hun. Anybody who uses hun all the time, be careful. Or sweetie is another one. And if it's your waitress, ask for a waiter. But anyway, so, so, so I found you. I found you. I've been looking all over for you. It's kind of like if you go on to internet pornography, the woman's looking straight at you and she wants you. She doesn't know who you are. That was recorded six years ago. But it's just looking straight at you. I've spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from, from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. I've got the room ready. Come on, honey. Right? Just all this talk. And Next screen. Let's take our fill of love until the morning. 
Now, if this time he's wondering where the husband is, let us delight ourselves with love for my husband isn't at home. Oh, she says exactly what he needs to hear. My husband's not at home. Where is he? Long journey, bag full of money. He won't be back until the full moon. We got time. We'll get away with it. Next screen. With much seductive speech, it's talking about the words she'll use. She persuades him with her smooth talk and she compels him. All at once, he just follows her like a mindless dog, follows her like an ox to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast, or till an arrow pierces its liver, a bird rushes into a snare. He does not know it will cost him his life. He has no idea where this is going to, son. Keep in mind, he's coaching. It looks so enticing and it appeals to the, 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 the rawness of your worst person, your inner bad old person. He's a, a next screen. And now, oh sons, now he stops the coaching. He stops the scenario and he says, my, my sons, listen to what I'm saying. Listen to what I'm saying. Let not your heart turn aside to her. Don't get hooked on this woman. Do not stray into her path. Don't even go near her. Many of the victims she has laid low and her slain are a mighty throng. Her, her house is a way to Sheol and going down to the chambers of death. Do not go. This is a coaching. He's got the chalkboard all written up saying, go this way. Get out of there. These conversations should be had in your house. Don't let your kids go out into a world that we live in without these conversations you've coached them through. If they get caught by ignorance because they have no idea what the world is like, and you do, you failed as a parent. Next screen. That brings the last one. Discipline is a word. Training is a word. Coaching is a word. And you reach the pinnacle of parenting. They become friends. This does happen. They're equals with you. You're no longer really standing in authority over them. You're like friends that you can share life. But listen, listen very carefully about this. Don't try to be friends too early. Don't become friends to where your junior high, your junior high kids have all their friends and they have their buddy and their pal, mom and dad, but they don't have a parent who stands up and has authority and can train them and discipline them during that time of life. They need a parent, not a friend. And you can't be friends later if you won't first be an authority earlier. You have to earn it. You have to have done the discipline and the training and the coaching. And then all of a sudden, they come to you because they want to. They ask you questions because they long to know. They want to tap into your wisdom. You've proven yourself over these years. And by the way, I think all this is really modeled after God. Abraham is called a friend of God, and we're told that we can have a relationship of friendship with God. And there's too many people who want to start out their relationship with God as an equal friend with God. You are not an equal friend with God. First of all, you are a child of God who needs to obey him. 
His word means what it says and you do it. Even when it challenges you and what you want, you must have been disciplined by God until you obey. You must be trained by God until you're submissive to his authority and his purpose. You must be coached by God and his word until you respect him. And then when you honor God, when you know of his wisdom and you know his commands are not burdensome and you're not obeying because you have to or because oh, the Bible just tells me to and I have to, you now obey because you trust God's heart. You've become a friend of God. That's when perfect love drives out fear. That's true, but fear has to be there first. Fear has to be there first. This is the way it is with God, and this is the way it is with us as parents. Four words. That's all I want to leave you with. Four words. Discipline, training, coaching, and friendship. Let that be the tenor, because that's the role that you have as your kids grow up. And I got to tell you, when it gets to those last two, it's some of the most rewarding experiences of your life. But it takes some work to get there, and it's worth it, because then you unleash into the world this God-fearing, God-honoring, good citizen who's going to make the world a better place and you will isn't that what the proverb says the glory of the old is in their 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 children the glory of the old is in their children there's anyone who needs to respond this morning taking on christ as lord of your life by being immersed after you repent of your sin this is a moment for that if you've done that and for some reason you've gone astray and you're not submitting to the will of God and the purpose of God and you need to repent, this is a moment for that as well. If you need to respond this morning, make it known as we stand and as we sing.